0: Hey, deserving listeners, today I'm going to talk about the differences and similarities between narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and histrionic personality disorder. Everything I'm about to say in this uh, episode is completely my opinion. Other clinicians will likely disagree with me. Some will agree with me. Some will disagree because these labels are constructs. They're not scientific, hard science things. So there are things that we socially construct in our profession and in academia, and so by definition, you're going to have different opinions about them. So just take all that into consideration. And all this is based on uh, 20-something years of me studying these personality disorders and treating them and getting supervision and consultation around people who present this way. So... My, uh, my thesis in this episode is that narcissistic, borderline, histrionic, they're really very, very similar. There's a lot of overlap. In fact, research shows that among narcissistic and borderline, 25% of people will have be, – they'll be diagnosed with both. So 25% of people with narcissistic will also be diagnosed with borderline. It's not always the case, but one one you know research study found that. Also, culture plays a role in our conceptualization of some of these personality disorders. I have found that when you present the exact same presentation and then at the end of the presentation you reveal the gender. You say, you know, you 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 do the same presentation, and at the end of the presentation, you're like, and this client is a male. The the clinicians in the audience are are much more likely to say, oh, narcissistic, whereas if you say at the end of the presentation, this is a female, they're much more likely to say borderline, sometimes histrionic. So it, it, it's affected by the bias of the assessor and our genderizing of everything. Okay, so for narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and histrionic personality disorder – they all have very similar uh, beginnings. They, the, children, the people when, when they're younger have very similar experiences growing up. There's slight differences uh, commonly, but really the, you can generalize pretty well in that they all experience mistreatment, either through abuse early in life or neglect early in life or abandonment or other kinds of mistreatment. Sometimes this mistreatment is quite obvious, like being sexually abused or physically abused, but sometimes it's less obvious, like if a parent was depressed or you, your family were refugees from war or something. So, you might look to your family and you might think, "Well, I love my family, my family has been really great, but you because your family was great, but there were things that resulted in your parents ability to care for you as a child was compromised, and therefore you are at greater risk of developing a personality disorder so So all three of these personality disorders, in my experience, have almost identical uh, childhood uh, histories. But there are factors that will push people to one of the three. And there are many, many factors, of course, and people are very complex and it's a system. So there's like the child is interacting with the family system, which is interacting with society, which is interacting with, you know, culture. And, you know, there's a lot. There's billions upon billions of factors and there's no way to reduce it all. But in a nutshell, it all depends on what the child learns in terms of how they get love and attention and how they cope. So – if the child learns that they can get – so so I'll start by saying the baseline, the child is not getting a, enough love and attention. That's an important – so the, the, because of the mistreatment, not only are they made to feel worthless and they're in pain and demoralized, but they also are not getting a, enough love and attention. And so the child will figure out ways to try to get a little bit of love and attention from parents or caregivers or other people. So – it, uh, if it, during childhood, if the child learns that they can get a little bit of love and attention by being the star and being awesome or by being hyper-independent, like I don't need anybody, I'm fine, even as, a, even as a young child, then that child will likely develop narcissistic personality disorder. If the child learns that they can get a little bit of love and attention by being hyper-aware of the emotional state of their parents or their caregivers, then they are likely to develop borderline. This is a preoccupied attachment style, if you're familiar. And narcissistic is associated with, with avoidant. Whereas if the child learns that they can get a little bit of love and attention by being seductive or highly expressive with their emotions, then they're likely to develop histrionic. So, again, the keys here are that the people are, as young children, we're talking like, you know, pre-six years old, they are mistreated somehow, which leads to, one, they're being taught that people would not really be there for them unless they took drastic actions to get whatever little bit of love and attention that they can get. Um, And the mistreatment also results in that they weren't given a chance to develop a sense of self. So they, they can't soothe themselves, they don't really know who they are, and they, they're not really connected with their emotions, they don't really know what they want. This is a very important stage of life that kids are given the opportunity to develop a sense of self uh, early in life, uh, say, you know between the ages of three and five, two and five or something. And when you're neglected, you're not given a chance to develop that sense of self. I've talked about it in other podcast episodes, so I won't go into too much detail here. And so because of this mistreatment and because they have insecure attachment and because they lack a self, they need to figure out a way to cope with all that because it's very painful and very scary and very lonely. And so uh, one, the, they, they need to cope with the fact that they're not able to get their needs met. So children have needs for attachment, right? They need to ha- feel secure and loved and safe. So they, they need to develop some way of coping with that. And also they need to develop some way of coping with the fact that they don't really know what they want, they don't really know their emotions, and they don't really know how to soothe themselves. So they do a lot of trial and error. And over time – we're talking early in life, the trial and error happens – they develop a pattern of thinking and behavior that helps them get through the day, and they figure out how to get a little bit of love and attention, and they figure out how to structure their personalities so that they can cope with severe insecurity and loneliness. Now, this is not a conscious trial and error process. It's it's mostly an unconscious process. These patterns uh, in, in the children become fixed over time, particularly because they often grow up in fairly stable Uh, systems where their mistreatment is sustained over time. And so they develop a fixed personality and a fixed attachment style and a fixed way of coping with all this terribleness that is functional when they're children because it's absolutely the only way that they can get love and attention. It's the only way they can cope. But then when they go into adulthood and they actually move away from the mistreatment, move away from the abuse, they still retain that personality. They still retain that attachment style and that coping style, and it becomes dysfunctional usually for them at that point. All right, so let's get into the different personality disorders. So I'm going to describe all three in the same sort of way to help delineate the ones and also show how they're very similar. So first we have narcissistic personality disorder. For people with narcissistic, they figured out that they can get a little bit of love and attention if they uphold a superior attitude and persona. So they prop up this grandiose false self and they actually manage to get a little bit of love and attention. Whereas if they didn't, you know, come across like a superior being, then they don't get any love and attention. And they also figure out that they can get a little bit of love and attention if they suppress their attachment needs. So if they are pathologically independent, if they convince themselves that they don't need anybody, they're totally fine on their own, and they can, they can live life without being attached to anybody. So that's how they deal with this uh, difficulty of getting love and attachment. They convince themselves they don't need anybody, and they also uphold this grandiose self. And it can be summarized by the following self-statement. I will make sure that I am superior to others, so I will attract others to me, and so I won't be needy of other people because I'm superior. So that's, that's the self-statement. And their superior is a defense against their feelings of inferiority, their feelings of emptiness, and their feelings of loneliness but it always backfires for them when they when they're when they're an adult because they tend to make other people feel very small and unsafe which naturally pushes pe- pushes people away and this perpetuates their feelings of inferiority and loneliness because everyone's running away from them so they resort to defensively rejecting others and focusing on their grandiose self and convincing themselves they don't need anybody which again pushes people away and then the the cycle just goes on and on and on. So that original mistreatment from their caregivers growing up, through their personality later in life as an adult, they tend to recreate that mistreatment in other people. So they their mistreatment is extended throughout their life until they recover. And again, since boys are socialized to be more independent, they're, they're more likely to develop narcissistic personality disorder. All right, what about... Borderline personality disorder. Well, for these people, early in life, through trial and error subconsciously, they figured out that they can get a little bit of love and attention if they one, become hypervigilant about the emotional states of other people. So they become hyper aware of the emotional state of their caregivers because then they are they are able to predict and manage what's happening. And they don't focus on themselves, by the way. And two, they figure out they can get a little bit of love and attention if they micromanage that emotional state in the other person for the benefit of keeping that person uh, stable and close to them because they need their parents to be stable and close to them. Now, it never really succeeds because the parents are struggling or the caregivers are struggling with whatever they're struggling with. But they get a little bit more love and attention, a little bit more attachment security when they're hyper aware of what the other person is doing and try to control it through their own reactivity. This can be summarized by the following stealth statement. I will make sure to pay very close attention to others so I can make sure that they won't hurt me. So that summarizes that. So this hypervigilance is a defense against their feelings of abandonment primarily, and which results in also feelings of emptiness and loneliness. But of course, it backfires when they're an adult because they tend to make others feel rejected and unsafe. And this perpetuates, you know, as people move away from them, they feel abandoned again and they feel lonely and worthless. So they resort to defensively maybe rejecting the person, maybe moving on to a new person or trying to control the person. And they they attach to people very quickly, which eventually backfires because they tend to – because of their personality and their defensive style, they tend to make other people feel trapped and rejected and unsafe, which again pushes people away or at least they start to sort of move away. The person feels abandoned again and, and the cycle just goes on and on. And since girls are socialized to be more dependent on other people, they're more likely to develop borderline personality disorder. But right from the beginning, I hope you can tell there are massive overlaps between narcissism and borderline. They're just they're just slight shades different. And a lot of people, when I actually assess them and treat them, we find that they have some narcissistic traits and some borderline traits. Sometimes they're right in the middle, or sometimes it depends on what relationship they're in. If if a narcissistic person is involved with another narcissistic person, then it might actually push one of them to become more borderline. but I digress. Let's go into histrionic personality disorder. So for these people early in life, they figured out that they can get a little bit of love and attention if they one get people to notice them they they need people to notice them and when they're when they're children, and they can be very expansive with their emotional state or seductive through sex or power or some other method. They figured out that if they become very noticeable, then people will actually turn to them and pay attention to them and maybe give them a little bit of love. And when they were children, if they didn't do that, they wouldn't get any love and attention or very little anyway. This disorder can be, or this condition, this personality type can be summarized by the following self-statement. I will make sure that people will notice me so they won't ignore me and eventually hurt me. So, these people hyper communicate their emotional state to other people in an attempt to draw people towards them. This is all a defense against their feelings of being invisible, not being good enough, feeling empty, and feeling lonely but of course, like with the others, it backfires because they tend to make other people feel invisible, ignored, and unsafe so I hope all, an, another uh, parallel here that you can see between these different disorders is these different personality types is. Whatever they're feeling, and you know, they're feeling abandoned or they're feeling ignored or they're feeling um, unimportant, then they tend to do things that make other people feel like the way they do on the inside. This is a very common psychodynamic process that people have been noticing for decades in the psychodynamic world. So, uh, histrionic people. They tend to make others other people feel invisible, not good enough, ignored, and unsafe and that 's the way they felt when they were growing up and that's the way they perpetually feel even as an adult and By making other people feel not good enough and invisible or not, and not mattering, then uh, this pushes people away and this this causes the histrionic person again to feel lonely and and not and as if they don 't matter to anybody. So they again resort to becoming even more expansive with their feelings in an attempt to draw people towards them. Now, with histrionic people, old relationships will tend to drift away because they've seen the cycle, but new relationships, they don't know the cycle, and so they'll be attracted to the histrionic person. I'm generalizing for the sake of time. I've actually done deep dives on all three of these personality disorders. If you want access to those, where I where, with narcissism, I think I talked for 11 hours. There's, there's an 11-hour episode which I talked about narcissism. I've done huge deep dives on Borderline and also on Histrionic. If you want access to those, you have to become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. In fact, I'm wearing a Patreon shirt right now, Patreon shirt right now. Um, so go there and and you'll get access to hundreds of other uh, premium content as when you become a patron. But anyway, so Histrionic people, they make other people feel like they don't matter. Old relationships will uh, slough off. New relationships will be like, ooh, this person seems exciting. They'll get attracted to that. And the cycle just you know begins all again and again, since girls, as young children are socialized to be more expressive with their emotions they 're more also more likely to develop to develop histrionic personality disorder. Um, I will say it might seem like what i 'm saying since histrionic and borderline are more uh, more likely to be women, and narcissistic is more likely to be men. Um, There are other personality disorders that are more likely to be men, such as antisocial. So in my experience, uh, personality disorders are – when you add them all up, men and women have equal rates. Okay. So summary, again, all these people with these personalities, they all go through mistreatment and through trial and error. They all develop a personality and a style of coping that reduces their inner distress and helps them to gain a little bit more love and attention. This personality and this coping strategy is helpful when they're children, but as an adult, their personality and coping style perpetuates their pain by pushing people away and making them feel the way they did when they were children, which furthers their feelings of worthlessness and emptiness. So this might all seem quite uh, hopeless and demoralizing, right? But... Here's the thing. Research shows that therapists such as myself and the thousands of other therapists around the world can actually reduce symptoms of this personality, in essence changing that personality or, or helping people to adapt and adopt a new style of coping and a new style of gaining attachment from others, building cultivating attachments. And so there are two main areas of treatment that I will point to. Uh, none of them involve medication. There is no medication for personality disorders. Uh, there, are, There's medication for perhaps depression or anxiety that are associated with it, but nothing that will actually uh, address the direct symptoms of the personality disorders because it's your personality. Um, number one, the first area is di- dialectic behavior therapy, DBT, or similar treatments. There's a lot of, there's narrative therapy or cognitive therapy, behavioral therapy. There's a lot of different therapies in that zone. And essentially any therapy that helps with emotional regulation, decision-making, and altering unhelpful narratives is is likely to help. So there's, you can do that in group therapy or individual therapy, or you can even just get a workbook and work on it on your own. So there's a lot of things, but again, it has to be with, uh, it has to involve emotional regulation, emotional awareness, the ability to reduce distressful emotions, the ability to make decisions while you're in an emotional state, the uh, ability to evaluate your narrative of certain situations so that you don't go down destructive paths. And then—so so that's, that's the one major element of treatment. And the, the, the second major element is through individual therapy with a relational therapist. So I don't have time to go into too much detail about this, but essentially with a relational therapist, it's long-term. Uh, typically for people when I'm treating narcissistic, borderline, histrionic, we're probably looking at about five years of maybe therapy every other week, maybe every week— um, I tend to operate with clients every other week uh, currently. It's just kind of my situation now. But anyway, uh, it takes a long time. And the reason is, is because the, the person might not have ever had in their life a stable attachment with, uh, in a, with a person with whom they could feel like they – Really matter, and that they're not going to be abandoned, and that someone that they can really depend on. And so, through that relational experience with the therapist, we call it a corrective experience, the client internalizes that experience and begins to feel better about themselves. And they also actually start to develop a sense of self. These are very difficult things to do that take a long time, and you can't just use CBT to do that. This is this is something that alters the personality. Essentially, you're giving them a chance to go back in time and go through developmental stages that they were robbed of when they were younger. And so... The therapist is uh, has to be very particular, though. You can't just go to any therapist because not every therapist knows how to do relational therapy. Relational therapy is very taxing on the therapist because with borderline, with narcissistic, with histrionic, often the client will start involving the therapist in the client's inner life, which often can involve the therapist being targeted by the client with some hostility or... Great hostility at times, and so the therapist has to be extremely aware of their countertransference. They often have to be in supervision or consultation themselves, and experienced with uh, noticing reenactments that clients will can, will recreate. And uh, through that um, maturity and differentiation and ability to handle your countertransference, the ability to conceptualize what's happening, um, the the therapist is able to stay present and stay close and not distance and and stay compassionate, uh, but at the same time not incur too much distress themselves and and not reject. Um, When therapists uh, are not trained and not able to do this kind of work, what often ends up happening is the histrionic narcissistic borderline client will, again, through their attachment style, through their coping style, they will tend to, uh, make the therapist feel bad about themselves, feel unsafe, the therapist will push away um, either emotionally or you know, by getting rid of their compassion or even literally terminating with, with the client. And this furthers the damage to the client and just further uh, uh, tells the person with the personality disorder that they can't really depend on anybody, and it just furthers the damage. So again, you have DBT and similar treatments for emotional regulation, and then two, you have uh, individual therapy with a relational therapist. I've treated many people with narcissistic, borderline, and histrionic. It takes a while. It's hard work um, for both the client, mainly for the client, but also for the therapist. It's, It's not easy work for the therapist. But man, is it worth it. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. To see somebody uh, develop a sense of self, to develop self-esteem, to be able to feel for the first time in their life that they're worth love and attention, and to be able to generalize that that ex- secure attachment to other relationships in their life, to start building their life back up. It's just a hugely gratifying thing, and that's why I specialize in that, because – it's it's a challenge, and um, so worth it. Uh, it's just such a great thing. So if you're out there, uh, don't be demoralized. Find either a DBT or a, a personality disorder a CBT specialist, or, or maybe even a narrative therapist, and also find a relational therapist who knows how to treat personality disorders. It's hard work, takes time, might cost you money. So worth it. All right. Well, so that does it for that episode. If you're watching this video on YouTube on my regular uh, YouTube channel, Psychology in Seattle, uh, I'm also posting all of my face videos, shall we say, on another YouTube channel called Psychology in Seattle Videos. So please subscribe there. Also, as I said, become a patron of the podcast by going to Patreon.com. There you'll get access to hundreds of patron exclusive episodes many of which are dealing with personality disorders, but we do episodes on lots of different things. So become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. That's how I know you like this sort of thing, and I will continue to do more. Thanks for joining me. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. You really, really do.